0: Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican.
2: The Pope couldn't make it here to Dubai. His doctor forbade him from traveling, but a cardinal read his words. Are we working for a culture of life or a culture of death?
1: Pope Francis canceled his trip to Dubai for the COP28 climate conference on doctor's orders. He continues to struggle with bronchitis. We'll update you on his health and the message Cardinal Parolin brought to Dubai in the Pope's stead. Sources close to the Pope say he's decided to revoke Cardinal Burke's right to a Vatican apartment and salary.
2: Pope Francis says the retired cardinal has been a source
1: of, quote, disunity in the church. Next up, Pope Francis said in a meeting that he plans to cut Cardinal Raymond Burke's salary from the Vatican's payroll and either evict him or ask him to begin paying rent on his Rome apartment. But the reasons behind the decision remain murky. We'll tell you what we know. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry.
2: Good afternoon from a rather rainy, thundery Rome, Colleen.
1: And rather cold. Is it cold today?
2: Well, it's not so cold, but it has been very cold. We have had zero temperatures here in these days. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's obviously very changeable weather.
1: The reason I ask about that is that the Pope has canceled some audiences, and it's been in part due to concerns about temperature changes. He actually canceled the trip that he was expected to make to Dubai from December 1st through 3rd for the United Nations COP28 Conference of Parties Climate Summit. This was clearly a visit he'd been looking forward to. At the start of the Synod on Synodality, he released an apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, which was at first reported as a sort of Laudato C 2.0. And in the letter, he devotes significant space to talking about international cooperation on climate change and specifically about the COP28 summit, presumably in anticipation of his travel to the United Arab Emirates. But a couple days before he was due to leave, the Vatican abruptly announced that the Pope would not be making the trip due to his ongoing respiratory illness. So Jerry, before we talk about the Pope's health and the implications of this, let's talk about the message that he wanted to send to COP28, because we know it was important to him. Cardinal Perilin gave his speech on his behalf in Dubai. What were some of the key points of that?
2: Well, I think it's very interesting just to listen to the opening words. The Pope says, sadly, I am unable to be present with you as I had greatly desired. We all know that he passionately wanted to be there because he felt this is a critical moment in trying to reverse the negative trends on climate change. And he said, I am with you because the destruction of the environment is an offense against God, a sin that is not only personal, but also structural, one that greatly endangers all human beings, especially the most vulnerable, and threatens To unleash a conflict between generations. It was a very powerful opening. He said, then, and also in a video message to the faith pavilion that was opened on the Sunday morning.
1: Right. He was supposed to go inaugurate a faith pavilion in Dubai, and the idea was that it was going to kind of bring together different religions in the fight against climate change.
2: And he, he said in that speech, and it summed up what we also said to the cop. He says the most important topics currently are peace. And the climate. And he he singled out these two as the issues that really deserve global attention. And he said, what stands in the way of us addressing this problem? And he said, the divisions that presently exist among us. He said, we've got a connected world, but a lot of the leaders are unconnecting the world. And he said, we find ourselves facing firm and even inflexible positions calculated to protect income and business interests. And then he goes on to pinpoint, Colleen. And what does he say? He says, first of all, climate change signals the need for political change. Because he's made very clear many times that irrespective of all the NGOs, all of us, all the changing family styles everybody is doing, it requires political change political decisions, and then he spelled out what those are. Four things. They need to work for energy efficiency, renewable sources, the elimination of fossil fuels, not phasing out, as some of them have been talking about in the conference. He says elimination. And fourthly, education and lifestyles that are less dependent on the latter. In other words, lifestyles that are less dependent on fossil fuels. It's a big four points. He's been extraordinarily specific, I think, in this message.
1: Jerry, one other thing that the Pope has been a big advocate of is this loss and damage fund. Can you explain a little bit about that?
2: Yes. The Pope said in his speech, a lot of people are throwing the blame for the world heating on the poor and the number of people in the world.
1: Right. This is this like overpopulation argument, which he actually refuted back in Laudato Si. He said, you know, the problem isn't that the poor are having too many children. The problem is that the wealthy are living lifestyles that are not sustainable.
2: There's a lot of damage being done to poorer countries. They're suffering the effects of climate change, even though they have not caused it. And so there should be compensation to them to address it in their places, in their countries, And the compensation should come from the wealthier ones, those who are responsible for creating the problem in the first place.
1: And there was some movement around this previously at COP summits, but Pope Francis called out in Laudate Deum, this apostolic exhortation at the beginning of October, that there hasn't been the follow-up. People pledge money to this fund and then not give it.
2: Yes, he, he said there's been no control mechanism, there's been no verification mechanism, but this COP... 28 got off to a very good start on this specific question of loss and damage fund that they established it at the beginning. Of course we have to wait until you know the the devil is in the details we have to see what is there but they have created a fund.
1: Jerry, I want to ask you one last thing which is the interreligious dimension of this. Obviously we remember the Pope's last visit to the UAE to Abu Dhabi. The Pope went there because he had been working on this initiative with the Grand Imam of Al Azhar and we know that the granddame mom was also involved in this faith pavilion thing. Tell me about you know what we missed. What was supposed to happen on the interreligious frontier? We mentioned the faith pavilion.
2: Yes, the faith pavilion. This is the uh, kind of a historic thing. For the first time in uh, this is the twenty eight COP twenty eight conference organized by the United Nations on climate change, and for the first time ever, there's been given a big place to the role of religions and so they have created this faith pavilion with right through day by day through the period the cop is being held there will be discussions and meetings by religious participants and also ngos etc discussing various aspects on how religions can together work to address this problem and to get their followers to address the problem and then before the conference started around the 6th of november representatives of leaders of about 30 religions, of the major world religions, gathered in Abu Dhabi for a faith summit. And they all signed a document, a declaration, which was to be given to the summit of world leaders. Now, Francis, with the grand imam of al-Azhar, who is the leader, the most influential figure of the 80% of the world's Muslims, he was due to sign that in Dubai. But he wasn't there. So what happened? The Judge Abdel Salam
1: Who's like the right-hand man of the Grand Imam.
2: One of the chief advisors of the Grand Imam, but also the Secretary General of the Council of Muslim Elders, which is a very important body of Muslim elders from around the world. He's the Secretary General. He flew from Dubai to Rome, came to meet the Pope in the Pope's apartment last Saturday, and he got. He brought the document, this declaration, with him, and he. Got, the Pope signed it, Francis, and it was head of the Catholic Church. There was his placement. There's a video of it, and then he got on the plane and took it back. And the Grand Imam signed it too. The two of them signed it, and it was given to the conference. The, the judge told me he sent me a message showing the, the signing by the Pope, but it, it was amazing. And he got the Pope to do this two-minute little talk and it really shows how far francis is ready to go on this question and it's it's a it's a powerful message to not only his own catholic faithful but to other christian churches and to the world religions because he's greatly respected in, um, in among the other religions
1: Sherry, i uh, can't help but think of the carbon emissions that judge abdel salam generated by flying to rome and back for this <laughs> Let's turn to talking about why the Pope missed this trip, talk about his health. What do we know so far about how he's doing and and why he felt he had to miss this?
2: Well, I think it's very clear why he missed the trip. The Saturday before he was due to travel, he had to go to hospital for a checkup because he was having breathing problems. And uh, he obviously had a cough, and they excluded pneumonia when they did a CAT scan on him. They took him to the Tiber Island Hospital, which is very near and which is now part of the Gemelli Hospital, which he normally goes to. Mm -hmm,
1: Really close to the Vatican.
2: And so that was on the Saturday before he was going. The Sunday, he did not appear at his window at the, the third floor of the papal palace. Instead, he gave the midday Angelus prayer and greeting, from the chapel of Santa Marta. That's the Vatican guest house residence where he lives. And he gave it sitting down, but beside him was a Vatican Monsignor, Paolo Breda. And the Pope said, I'm sorry, I am not well. I've got acute bronchitis and uh, I cannot read everything, so he will read.
1: Got it. And and during that, he raised his hand and had an IV cannula in his hand.
2: They call it a butterfly, Colleen, and the medics, some of the medics call it a butterfly.
1: I've never heard that. A butterfly, okay.
2: And uh, the, it's for either testing, doing blood tests, or for doing intravenous uh, feed, and, or, for example, giving medicines, et cetera, like antibiotics.
1: Right. And I believe the Vatican told us that the Pope was getting antibiotics
2: through it. Yes. And now I understand he has finished his antibiotics.
1: Right, the butterfly is no longer in his hand. Jerry, the Pope was in the hospital for bronchitis earlier this year, and we know that he's missing part of a lung that he had removed as a young man. How big of an issue is this?
2: Well, it's uh, at the end of March, he ended up in the Gemelli Hospital for some days for acute bronchitis. When he was 21 years old, he was in the first year of seminary in Buenos Aires, he had to be taken to hospital. He had cysts removed from the upper lobe of his right lung. So he hasn't had the part of the lung removed. It's cysts removed from the lobe. Uh, And since then, he said in a, a book, in an interview on his health with Nelson Castro and an Argentine journalist, he said, Since then, I've not had any problems with my lungs. He said this about two years ago. And in fact, it seems that one of the lungs has actually grown slightly bigger to compensate for the problem with the other lung. But he's not had problems with lungs until this year when he had this acute bronchitis. And so the weekend before he was due to go to Dubai, when this problem reemerged, it was clear on the Sunday he wasn't able to really read the catechesis, the little homily that he reads before he recites The Angelus but he did read the messages afterwards in which he spoke about the need for peace, the continued peace, etc in Gaza and of course in Ukraine and then on Tuesday, we had a briefing from the Vatican press. Uh, director, on the trip. That was Tuesday at midday.
1: Right. As if it were going to happen.
2: It was the whole plan for the trip. And that evening about just 7.30, we got the news the trip was canceled on the doctor's orders. I had actually personally concluded on Sunday that he would not be going because I I couldn't see how he could travel because it meant six-hour flight from Rome to Dubai then he would arrive in the evening of the Friday evening. Saturday morning, he was due to give a talk at 9, 9.30 in the morning to the summit of the UN Conference on Climate. And then during the day, he was scheduled to have at least 30 bilateral meetings. That's one-to-one meetings.
1: That is insane.
2: <laughs> 20 of them were with heads of state. And really, as I wrote, it would have been a heavy schedule for a person in good health
1: I mean yeah I'd be exhausted by it
2: and here we were going from Rome where the temperature was at zero to uh, Dubai where it was hot and then moving in and out uh, in and out of uh, air-conditioned rooms it really was uh, a recipe for disaster
1: it would be hard to deal with that if you have a breathing problem. Absolutely. Jerry, we've talked before about how Pope Francis does not always obey doctor's orders. Uh, he's very much a person who does not like to rest. He wants to work all the time. Why did he obey them this time? And what do we know about how he reacted to this advice from
2: his doctors? Well, I, I think they were pretty firm with him and said, look, in your condition, it, it is folly to travel. If you, if you want a court disaster, go. I'm sure they were quite uh, tough with him. But also, we saw the following Sunday.
1: Yeah, this past Sunday, December 3rd.
2: We saw he couldn't even read the messages after the Angelus.
1: That's right. He was sitting there while this Monsignor read the messages and read his catechesis. And I mean, he looked like he was about to fall asleep. And he would take these big breaths every once in a while. He
2: he looked tired, but I understand now that he's he's, uh, recovered a little. And so it, it will take time. The, the problem with the Pope, Colleen, is very simple. Rest is not in his lexicon. Exactly. He, he doesn't like, if there's a space, it has to be filled. So he has, last Friday, he had nine audiences in the morning, nine between nine o'clock in the morning and one o'clock, nine audiences, some of them with big groups. And in the afternoon, he had other private audiences.
1: And Jerry, I mean, he turns... 87 in a couple weeks.
2: On the 17th of December, he will turn 87 and he'll be one of the oldest popes in the history of the Church.
1: That is wildy. So the Pope has canceled some audiences in the last nine days. He's kept others. He has a busy week scheduled this week. We're recording this on December 5th. Tomorrow, the Vatican says that he will be giving his audience. And then on Friday, he's going to pray at the statue of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception at the Spanish Steps, like popes have been doing for decades now. But with the weather fluctuating a lot in Rome, as Jerry mentioned, this may not happen. We'll have to keep our eye on it. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Pope Francis' decision to take away Cardinal Burke's salary and possibly his Vatican apartment and try to clarify some of the haziness around this story. Stay with us. On November 20th, Pope Francis told a meeting of the heads of Vatican Curia dicasteries, that's the offices that handle the churchy stuff in the Vatican rather than the city-state stuff, that one of his most vocal critics, U.S. Cardinal Raymond Burke, would no longer receive a paycheck from the Vatican or have the rent for his 4,000-square-foot apartment in Rome subsidized by the Vatican. One anonymous participant in that private meeting leaked to the Associated Press that Burke was being punished for being a source of disunity in the church. Now, the measures against Burke and the recent removal of Francis critic Bishop Joseph Strickland in Tyler, Texas, quote, appears to be a new phase in the pontificate, the AP said. The AP added that this reform-minded period seems to have accelerated with the arrival in September of Francis's hand-picked new doctrine czar, Argentine Cardinal Victor Fernandez. Jerry, I want to ask what you make of this analysis. Is the Pope entering his punishing-his-critics era?
2: What strikes me is that the Pope has a meeting with his top heads of office, as it were, heads of department, the cabinet, and he cannot be sure that what he says there is not leaked publicly. And that's disturbing. I, I think it's a question of, can the Pope trust all his top officials? It's an important question. I think it's been known for a long time that there have been several cardinals here, several people in the Vatican, And especially Italian cardinals who have felt that Cardinal Burke was being given special treatment, positive treatment by the Pope. He was sniping at what he was doing, but uh, the Pope seemed to be ignoring it. Whereas Cardinal Becciu, an Italian cardinal, just for money questions, he lost his cardinal's privileges.
1: He lost the ability to vote in the conclave.
2: And publicly, he has not in any way attacked the Synod, or what the Pope's teaching on uh, uh, Amoris Laetitia, or other issues, as Burke has done. So they were saying, why are two weights and two measures? And so uh, I think uh, this message got through to the Pope eventually, and especially on the eve of the Synod, when Burke really opened fire uh, on the Synod.
1: Yeah, he, re- he spoke at this conference called the Synodal Babel that was comparing the Synod to the Tower of Babel story. And this was you know just outside of, of the Vatican. I, I walked by the place where they had it almost every day on my way to lunch.
2: It was a step too much. I think uh, he'd crossed many red lines, and I, I think many people at that point felt the Pope has to do something. It, this is a separate question from Strickland. Strickland was a question of also problems in his diocese and problems with the other bishops in Texas, etc. That was a separate question. But here was someone, a cardinal, who is meant to be support, advisor, help to the Pope, undermining much of what Francis was doing.
1: But why make this decision now, right? Like, Burke has been you know, signing dubia for years. He's been speaking out against the Pope for years. So is it a matter of this synodal babble thing being the the breaking point?
2: No, nobody quite knows, but uh, some believe that this was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, that by this frontal attack on the synod, on the eve of the synod, the timing was exactly on the eve of the synod, it, it was just too much. And uh, I think several people said to the Pope— We don't know what exactly the Pope said in the meeting.
1: No, that's right. In fact, the Pope has made one comment about this so far publicly. It was to Austin Ivory, his longtime biographer. He, in a letter, denied rumors that he had called Burke my enemy, which was a rumor that was reported in some blogs, but never made it to the mainstream press. And then he said that he had just stated the fact that Burke was having these privileges removed without giving an explanation. So that's that's what we have from the Pope.
2: Anybody in their sane mind would not think that the Pope would have spoken about enemy in relation to one of his cardinals and call him my enemy. No, I yeah, mean, this is the Pope yeah. of Fratelli Tutti. We're all siblings.
1: So, Jerry, let me ask you like a very simple question: Do you think that this is a method of punishing Burke, or do you? listen to these explanations that some are giving that he just his his term was up and so he doesn't need to have these anymore.
2: I think it's it's a blowing the whistle like you would say in a football game. I, I think he is effectively kind of given reason for a penalty.
1: <laughs> red hat gets a red card.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And there are many who think he should have lost his red hat. Mm. There are many here in Rome I've spoken to cardinals and people in the Vatican. They think the Pope was too kind, that uh, this kind of undermining the papal magisterium, this is, papal teaching, doing damage to the unity of the Church, really, in previous pontificates, he would have lost his red hat already.
1: All right, Jerry. So the Pillar, which is a Catholic blog here in the States, reports that Burke has now received a letter informing him that he'll no longer receive a salary. And then other reports have said that he'll be notified separately about the apartment. So it's still not clear whether he's being evicted or whether he will simply have to pay rent, which some estimates say is around $10,000 a month. And for context, his salary is around $5,000 a month. Uh, he, although he spends most of his time at Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in his native Wisconsin anyway.
2: Well, people here say that uh, money is no no obstacle to Cardinal Burke and that he's got his supporters who would willingly even buy an apartment of a much higher value here in Rome if he wished. But the, the reality is that they have changed the rules about the providing subsidized apartments to Vatican officials.
1: Jerry, before we go, I know that a story that as both of our attention nonstop right now is the war in Gaza. This continues to escalate after the six-day ceasefire. The IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, have now advanced into southern Gaza, and they've told Gazans via leaflets dropped from the air to flee to a largely desert region now when there's already a shortage of water. Despite his sickness, Pope Francis has continued to press for peace. What do we know about what he's been saying?
2: Well, the Pope, first of all, is daily in contact with the little Catholic community in Gaza. He's also frequently in contact with uh, Cardinal Pizabala and with other people. Uh, He is very well informed of what's happening. He's deeply disturbed by what's happening. We know that uh, early on, 22nd of October, he phoned President Biden. He he wanted him to act to bring about a ceasefire. It didn't happen. He also, in the last week of uh, October, he spoke to the Israeli president Herzog. And he said to, in the conversation, Herzog was defending what Israel was doing. And the Pope said, referring to what happened on the October 7, you don't respond to terror with more terror. And it was a very strong statement.
1: And the Pope is now calling for another ceasefire after having called for the first.
2: Oh, he called on Sunday for a new ceasefire agreement. And then search for paths to peace. He wants this war to stop. So even
1: with his illness, his limited energy, his limited voice right now, he's still trying to push for peace.
2: His heart is torn between what's happened in Ukraine and what's happening here in Gaza. And remember, Colleen, as a young Jesuit, he was trapped in Jerusalem in one of the wars, I think, in 1973.
1: Mm, So it's close to his heart for that reason.
2: He knows what war is.
1: All right, Jerry, that does it for this week. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it.
2: And I will chat with you again soon. Thank you, Colleen. There's always so much to talk about, and it's great to chat with you.
1: And one last thing before we go. It is now Advent. We're preparing for Christmas, and if you want some help getting into the Christmas spirit, Our producers, Ricardo Da Silva and Maggie Van Dorn, have this podcast called Hark, the stories behind our favorite Christmas carols. They opened this season with a crowd favorite, Oh Holy Night, which everyone had been asking for, and followed it up with actually an episode that takes you to Jerry's home country, Ireland, uh, for the Wexford Carol. I won't reveal what the rest of the episodes for the season are right now, but you can listen to Hark wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Hark, the stories behind our favorite Christmas carols. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo Da Silva. Production assistance from Delaney Coyne. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's Inside Without the Second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And you can follow Jerry on X at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.
0: Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections.